The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now um, to God's Word as we uh, prepare to hear from Him through His Word. From John chapter 1, and I'm just going to read verse 14 this morning. We read this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your presence right here amongst your people. God, we thank you that we can trust that you are with us, that you're fulfilling your covenant promises to us right now in our midst. And God, we need you. We desperately need you. We cannot understand. We cannot see. We cannot hear your word without the power of your spirit bringing illumination and understanding, bringing real conviction that only leads to repentance and life. So, God, I pray for each one of us in this room. Each one of us needs probably a different slant. We need it to become personal. We need to hear from you. God, keep us from just babbling. But may your word go out and bring forth fruit. Father, thank you for the hope of the gospel. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the essence of of God himself. Indeed, you are God. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. Loosen our grip on the things of the world that we might grip you in response to your grip on us. And Father, you know the special ways I need you this morning. Empower me uh, with the truth of this gospel too. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As most of you know, uh, a week and a half ago, I I lost my mother. Um, She passed from really dementia and uh, and what dementia does to your body. And and since then, our family has spent quite a lot of time together, and we've done so hearing from one another. Rachel one night had us kind of play this or go through this exercise. She said she wanted every table. We had two different tables of, you know, the kids' table and adult table. I think that's how it worked out. And she said, all right, I want us all to to answer this question. If you knew Sally, my mother, actually Sassy, who that's what my grandchildren call her. If you knew Sassy, you knew she. And we all went around the table and we said what the first thing that came to our mind and uh, this past Wednesday, she was memorialized, if you will. Um, and Whitney, our oldest daughter, wrote an obituary, which many of you probably read. And the purpose of an obituary, and really the purpose of a memorial service, and, and the purpose of the game that we played, if you knew Sally, you knew she, is we were trying to drill down and get to the essence of who she is. What is the essence of Sally Green, my mother? And as we come to our text this morning, John says these words, the word 
became flesh. God can be known, but God must be known as who he is. It is not our job to define. It, 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 God is not something you or I define. That's not our role to define who God is. The question, who is God, to you makes no sense. Because if we are just simply making up a God that we need in the moment, we are living by some, some, some fantasy, but not reality. And what John is telling us in this passage is that Christianity is different because God has come in the flesh. And you can't make him somebody else. He is who he is. God made himself known through the flesh and blood reality of the person of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Is that sinking into you this morning? That Jesus is a person, the God-man, that must be known. If we call ourselves Christians, we must take Jesus for who he is. How foolish would it be for somebody to come up to me and, and you know, at the memorial service or the visitation and say, oh, I knew your mother. She was the most fabulous 4'10 brunette great athlete, incredible singing voice I've ever known. I would go, you didn't know my mother. Because my mother was a 5'8 blonde. She had a horrible singing voice. She was as pitchy as pitchy can be. And she was pretty clumsy. She was not an athlete. You did not know my mother. Get away from me. And that's how we must receive Jesus. We must not define him. We must receive who he is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is Jesus? And do you know the Jesus of the scriptures? That's what John is so concerned about. Do you know the real Jesus? So let's look at it. The first thing we've got to see is that when you know Jesus, you know you've come in contact with glory. It is no mistake in it. Um, the whole idea of glory um, is hard to define but we know it when we know it. It's like uh, following Memphis State basketball this season, man. I mean, they went on a four-game losing streak, had the number one recruiting class in the country, and it was hard to watch as they got beat by Murray State. <laughs> you know? It was hard to watch as there was no glory. There was nothing glorious about Memphis State basketball. That's what my diploma says, sorry. University of Memphis basketball. Um, until when? Tuesday night. The number 16, Alabama, comes to town. And I don't know who that team was wearing blue and white Tuesday night, but they were a glorious team. They came out and schooled the number six team in the country. They did not have, Alabama did not have a chance to win that game. And even the players were caught up in the moment. Noli said this, after Tyler Harris hit his second three-pointer from near the U of M logo, <laughs> and they went on this 10-point run, uh, Noli said this. He said, I felt like we were in a video game. It felt like NBA 2K and the whole gym, the FedEx, he said, call it a gym, the FedEx Forum was shaking. He said, I was nervous and I was on the winning team. <laughs> 
I love that. What was happening? He was caught up in something bigger than a basketball game, something bigger than a basketball team. There was glory at work. And Michael did such a great job last week to tell us and show us how we are created to imitate. But friends, we were created to behold glory and to bow down in worship. And it's bigger than a, 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 a basketball team. It's bigger than a profession. It's bigger than the beauty of an individual. It's bigger than the beauty of creation. It is the beauty of the person of Jesus Christ. It is in his face that we find meaning, purpose, significance, all our questions answered at the foot of the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what we were created for. John says, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son of God. It's beautiful, friends. John saw Jesus' glory and it gave his life to him. Jesus had all of John. And this is why John is writing this gospel. He tells us in John 20, 31, these things are written. I've written this gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Are you looking for life? John says, this is where you find it. Have you seen his glory? I'm not asking you if you're a Christian this morning. I'm asking you, have you seen the glory of Christ? Are you constantly exposing your life to the glory of Christ? Is he the one who is captivating your attention, captivating your mind, captivating your heart, captivating your soul? If he is, you're seeing change. If he's not, you're, not, you're seeing very little. And the whole idea of Christianity is, is, is kind of numb. You're numb to it or it's absolutely irrelevant. Friends, you must see glory because you were created to see his glory. When you see the glory of, of Jesus, it's something otherworldly. It's something you can't define. It's something you, you can only behold. Ask any great artist. Ask any great businessman. Ask any great anybody how they came to, to, to be what they are, and I guarantee you they'll point back to somebody's glory. Fred Smith, who started FedEx, he points back to his father, who, who was an entrepreneur who started Dixie Greyhound Lines and the Title House. There's, if, you know, maybe you'll win a little uh, game, uh, trivia game on that one. Um, but he really points to his mother because Fred Smith was born with a, a, a bone disease that impacted his hips, and it was painful for him to even move, and his mother encouraged him, gave him the confidence to enter sports. And so he points back to his mother loving him and helping him believe what he couldn't believe for himself, the glory of his mother. LeBron James points to Michael Jordan. That's how he fell in love with the game. And we can just go on and on and on. President Obama points to his mother, who, a single mom who did what? Defied all the odds, uh, earned a Ph.D., provided for her family, goes on and on and on. They beheld the glory of these individuals. But friends, we were created for the glory of another, and his name is Jesus. And that's what John is helping us understand. Have you seen his glory? Well, what is his glory? Point number two, you know Jesus, and you know, if you know Jesus, if you've seen his glory, you've seen the glory of his grace. 
You've seen the glory of his grace. My mother was uh, not in the best nursing home in the area. Uh, there were no funds to put her in a posh uh, nursing home in a better part of town. But it was incredible staff who loved her and were God-fearing men and women, and I thank God for that. But it was quite, it was really hard to go see her, not because of her condition only, but because of the condition she was in, well taken care of, but a very outdated place. The medical equipment was outdated. The beds were about 50 years old. The mattresses were paper thin. It was hard to be there. And yet I'm telling you, on that Wednesday when she passed away, there is no doubt that Jesus was there. <laughs> because that's where Jesus goes. You see, he, unlike presidents and kings, doesn't make an exception and go to low places. That is his nature, to go to low places. He goes where the pain is. He goes where death is. He goes where depression is. He goes where hurt is. He goes where sickness is. He goes where lifelessness is. He goes where unbelief is. He goes wherever nobody else will go because that's the kind of God that we are. Why? Because John says he dwelt among us. The, the word there means tabernacle. It means pitched a tent. I, I used to love to camp. Now I actually like Hampton Inn king-size beds that are really thick. But I've camped enough to know in my life that the first thing you do when you're pitching your tent is you don't go to the low spot, you go to the high spot. Well, friends, Jesus pitched his tent in the low spot. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. He went to the flood. Why don't you, why don't you pitch a tent in, in a low spot? Well, do it and, and survive a night in the rain, and you'll find out quickly. It's miserable. And that's where Jesus pitched his tent. Why? So he would go in the flood to lift us up. He died that we might have life. That's the Jesus, that's the Jesus I know, and that's Jesus' glory, is he goes to the hard places. You see, we love, we are fascinated with the flashy stories of the powerful and the rich and the wealthy, but that's not what we need. We need someone who will come down in our pain. We need someone who will meet us when we're hurting. He needs some, we need someone who will help pick us up and put us back together when we're coming apart. And that's who Jesus is, and that is his glory. Jesus' grace was witnessed in his incarnation, literally taking on flesh that he created, governed and owns that he might lift us up. Jesus came down for the moments of our greatest need. And friends, I'm telling you right now, I was reminded again in very vivid ways that our, the point of our greatest need is the point of our last breath on this earth. I was sitting there with my mother, and that's a whole other story, how God even got me there. But to, to literally watch my mother take her last breath, I saw so much in her face. There's nobody that reaches that point that doesn't have regret. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one that gets to that point except maybe a narcissist who thinks, oh, my life is enough. 
No, when you get to that point, you need the life of someone else. <laughs> you need the performance of someone else. You need confidence that goes way beyond your life's efforts. And that's who Jesus is. And friends, what a blessing it was not to tell my mother, you were enough, but to tell my mother, Jesus is enough. And you can go to him. <laughs> and you can be with him. He's waiting because he's done it all, mother. Let it go. Let it go. And let him bring you home. Friends, is that your hope? In that moment, I promise you... It, all the, the, the philosophical ramblings, all the ideas about God, all the ideas about truth are going to fall by the wayside, and the only thing that matters is what is true. And John says, Jesus is true. He is the truth. And we see it in His grace. We see it in His grace. But then thirdly and finally, you know Jesus when you know the glory of His truth. If you've been exposed to Jesus, He's meddled with some stuff in your life. But all for, for good. And we don't know how to take that in this day. I see this in how we handle the truth in our culture today. Cancel culture is huge, and I alluded to it a few weeks ago when we looked at the end of James. But if you look at, like, just one example, Wayne Gruden, uh, the um, former head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, former ESPN analyst and commentator, some emails surfaced uh, that were racist, homophobic, and misogynist. He hit them all in his emails. He, he wasn't messing around. He hit it all. Um, and destroyed him, and uh, the Raiders let him go. But I'm not so sure they let him go because of their outstanding commitment to the truth. I think it probably was more cancel culture, and they knew what kind of price they'd have to pay if they kept him on. Um, and, and, and that's really where culture is in our day. But friends, we really can't point fingers because if you look at the past 30, 40 years, if you look back to even, you know, 1980 when Jerry Falwell started the Moral Majority or really when the Moral Majority was, was you know, catching its heyday. And for those that are like too young to know what the Moral Majority was, that was um, uh, uh, really an organization that called Christians uh, to war, if you will, against the culture. We were going to win the culture through politics. And in 1980, the New Yorker wrote an article entitled, A Disciplined Charging Army. Wow. In which Jerry Falwell is quoted as saying this, we are fighting a holy war, and this time we're going to win. And friends, Reagan won that election. That's what he was talking about. How's the kingdom of God going to advance? By electing Ronald Reagan. That's so jacked up, um, so messed up, I can't even get into it. But look at what the tactics are. The tactics were, if you're in the minority, we're going to roll over you. If you are in the community, LGBTQ community, we're going to roll over you. Why? Because we can, because we're going to hold power. And yet, look what's happening right now. The culture has learned from the best. 
Now, the LGBTQ community, other communities are rising up and rolling over the church, and now it's even dangerous to be a Christian. It, it, we're not just people that, you know, others disagree with. It's dangerous. It, holding the truth of the scriptures is, is, is we're viewed as being dangerous to culture. Why? Because that's exactly what we said of them. When John says Jesus is full of truth, we've got to understand what he's talking about. He's not saying Jesus is full of truth and he can walk, you know, when you grab hold of that truth and you get into power and you start beating people over the head with it. No. I love, uh, if you hadn't um, learned by now, uh, I love John Mark Comer um, and his new book, Live No Lies. He, he broaches the sensitive subject of our day, um, and he, the way he does it, I think, is masterful. And this is what he wrote. He said this. He says, let's broach a sensitive example, but one we simply can't skirt around, as it is the leading moral question of our generation, human sexuality. So he's going to address the um, human sexuality and really parse it with the gospel. And he says this, remember, as you read this, I'm a pastor, not a politician. My goal is to journey with your soul on its way to healing in God, not to legislate anything. I don't expect secularists to live like Christians. As Paul put it, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? The move of the Spirit is inward to conviction, not outward to critique. Brilliant. I'm not trying to critique the culture, much less control it. I'm trying to flourish a counterculture. Do you understand that's what Jesus was doing? Jesus was seeking to save and redeem a people that would become a counterculture. Not ones that would, in their pride and arrogance, wield the truth in culture and seek political power or any other kind of power, but a culture that would understand their place, that we are saved not by power, but by our power, but by grace through faith and the very power of Jesus Christ, that we might be humble agents of his truth, not critiquing, but allowing God to convict us of sin, that we might live humbly as servants and, and love our neighbor, not convert them to a political party. This is what the truth of Jesus is all about. The Spirit of Jesus uses the truth to, con to um, convict us of sin that he might lead us to repentance and therefore the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control and gentleness. The Father will use the truth not to condemn but to convict. So here's the question. Are you living under the conviction of King Jesus? Are you letting him read your heart? Are you letting him convict your thoughts? Are you letting him into the recesses of your life to speak directly to you? Because that is where he goes. He is full of grace and truth. We see how he does this. He did it with the Samaritan woman. The very fact that he was even in Samaria was baffling to his disciples, infuriated the Jews, because, uh, you know, a Jew, a righteous person doesn't go to that part of town. 
They don't go to that, that country. They don't cross that border. That's not what righteous people do, and yet that's right where Jesus went, full of grace, sat down in a well, and didn't talk to a religious leader of the city, but a woman came and sat by him. A woman that we found out was looking for identity and life through sex and men. And what did he do? He gracefully got to her and then began to expose the lie of her life that you, that she, that you can have life through sex and men. That your self-worth can be sustained to the point that you were created for it to be sustained by another person. And Jesus said, no, I'm the only one that can give you the life you're looking for. Grace and truth, it convicted her to the deepest recesses of her soul, but not to condemn her, but to save her. What is God doing in your heart this morning? Have you, are you exposing your heart to Jesus? What are those things that he is touching that you don't want him to touch. Oh, dear friends, it's the finger of a Savior. It's the finger of love itself, as we sang this morning, that beautiful song that I've never heard before. And we've got to sing a hundred more times <laughs> this year. Uh, love itself is touching those things. And it's a lie that he's trying to kill you. He's trying to free you. He's trying to give you life. He's trying to lead you away from harm into, and you say, I just can't see it. I just don't understand. You don't have to because grace and truth itself is, is, is in your heart and in your life speaking directly to your sin, speaking directly to those things that want to harm and destroy you. And by letting it go, you can get more of him that you might find life. He went to a rich young ruler. And, and, and he, didn't, he didn't bash him over the head. What did he do? The rich man, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, you know the law. Well, okay. One thing you lack, go sell all you have and give to the poor. And the man walked away with his head bowed down. Why? Because he wasn't willing to give it up. Why? Because he still believed, he was unwilling to believe that money would not satisfy the deepest desires of his heart. What is Jesus touching in your life you can give it up why because the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son of god dear friends he came to live under the law in your place and then become your sin on the cross and be condemned so that through faith you might be accepted by God as righteous because of the performance of Jesus. And you might have life in his name, having your sins washed away. Does that sound like something you would want? If you don't believe, dear friends, that is what's being offered and nothing less. If you are a believer this morning, how do you need God to meet you in your, it, with his grace? I've needed him so bad the last two weeks, and he's not disappointed because he meets us in the low points. And I've needed his truth to inform my thoughts <laughs> because what feels like death I can receive from him his life because truth itself is speaking it to me. 
Is that your hope? Have you seen his glory? Dear friends, as we come to the table this morning, may we beg God to open our eyes to his glory that we might be changed. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that we have hope beyond the grave, but we have hope this side of the grave. Because, Lord Jesus, you, your glory shines in the midst of our darkness. Your glory shines in the midst of our hurt and pain. Your glory shines in the face of our sin. And you are raging against it, not against us, that we might be freed to life and to love. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would work powerfully in our midst this morning, that you would pour out your spirit, that we might know the glory of Christ, the one who is full of grace and truth, that our lives might be changed. May we let go of those things that we've been holding on to, that we might see Jesus in him only. We lift these things to you in your name. Amen. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the way, truth, and life, that you are full of grace and truth, and we can behold your glory still because you lived, you died, and you rose again. God, we give our hearts to you, and I pray your blessing upon us as we leave this place, Lord. We look forward to how you're going to work in us. Give us boldness to repent boldly. Lord, give us boldness to believe boldly. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction. Hold out your hands as one receiving a blessing from God through his word. Dear friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.